You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. So my friends and uh, fellow members of Resurrection Presbyterian Church, uh, let's begin uh, to wrap up this uh, Made for Podcast membership class. I want to look with you at some important information about joining our church, uh, what's involved, and what it all means. And I'll do that in this episode and then just uh, one more episode after this to sort of uh, collect uh, the final uh, things to be said. Uh, Before we do that, though, let me say a word about all that I'm leaving out of this podcast version of the membership class. So at Resurrection, when this class is being taught in person, uh, I team teach it with uh, Pastor Justin Rosser. And out of the 10 classes that we teach together, four of them are led by Justin, and they contain uh, some material that's actually quite important to considering membership at Resurrection. I'm not going to be covering that material in this podcast version of the class, but I want you to alert you to it and where you can find it. Uh, So one thing that my brother Justin does is a little survey of the history of Presbyterianism, uh, the origins of our Presbyterian tradition in Scotland uh, as part of the larger thing we call the Protestant Reformation. And uh, then, of course, he brings it uh, more narrowly to a focus on the particular Presbyterian denomination that we're a part of, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, founded in 1936. Uh, and uh, the result of a fascinating uh, an important struggle within mainline Presbyterianism between uh, theological liberalism and what we call uh, orthodoxy or traditional Bible-believing Christianity. Now, uh, I touched on at least some of the Scottish Presbyterian roots uh, that we have as a local church. Uh, in that podcast last time, I in Injected a little detour in this series uh, that I called a Presbyterian pilgrimage. But uh, folks, uh, Justin's lecture is more complete, and uh, you can find that if you uh, are interested on our church website. There's a tab that is uh, the membership class, both video and audio version of that. Uh, Justin also uh, does something else in the class. Uh, He gives a, a kind of whirlwind tour of the distinctives of Reformed theology. So, Presbyterianism identifies with the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. Uh, Many Protestants don't. Uh, Many Protestants are Protestant, but not Reformed. Uh, But we're both at Resurrection, and Justin leads three classes uh, in which he introduces Reformed theology. Now, that some of you will know, is quite a lot to do in three classes. But uh, the approach that's taken in the membership class at Resurrection is to look at the Reformed faith from the vantage point of what the Scripture teaches about the roles of each of the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in our salvation. What the Father does, what the Son does, and what the Holy Spirit does 
to save us. And that's one way of, of trying to get your arms around what we mean by um, reformed, particularly soteriology or the doctrine of salvation. Uh, so jo- Justin walks through uh, the fact that the Bible teaches that God the Father initiates our salvation uh, before time begins uh, through his sovereign election of those that he will save. Uh, Then Justin talks about how the Bible teaches that God the Son uh, comes into time uh, in the form of a man, and he purchases our salvation there by his death on the cross and his resurrection. And he purchases that salvation for the same ones that the Father has chosen before the foundation of the world. And then Justin talks about how uh, the Bible teaches uh, that the Holy Spirit applies this salvation that Christ has purchased at the cross. You might say he delivers it uh, to the same ones that the Father has chosen, the Son has died for. Those same uh, those same individuals are brought to faith by the Holy Spirit and ultimately brought all the way to glory. Now, as I give that a little bit of a summary, perhaps you can hear in what I've just touched on there uh, issues that uh, good Christians have actually differed about uh, through the years. And I will say that you do not have to agree with Presbyterians at every point of Reformed theology in order to be a member of a Presbyterian church or to be a member of Resurrection Presbyterian Church. But we do want you to be aware of the theological uh, framework for all that is preached and taught uh, at Resurrection. And so here, too, if you would like to learn more about those things, uh, check the membership class videos or audio uh, that's found at the Resurrection uh, website. Uh, I'll point you there instead of uh, dragging Justin in front of my uh, um, podcast microphone here in my home office that I use for making these podcasts. So uh, that by way of a lengthy, uh, what would I call it, uh, alert to you that I'm leaving out some important information, normally part of the in-person membership class, but that is where you can get it, thanks to the Ministry of Pastor Rosser. But for today, this episode, uh, let's talk about what membership at Resurrection entails, what it means to become a member. Not just of Resurrection, I think this will apply to all Bible-believing churches. Uh, This has been a membership class, and ultimately it's about providing uh, our listeners with information about not only our convictions and our ambitions as a church, but also to give the information you need to make a decision about whether you would like to make this church uh, your home church. So, it seems appropriate to be wrapping up our uh, class looking at this thing called church membership uh, itself. And I, I think that's appropriate especially because formal church membership Uh, in our day, at least in our part of the world, appears to be something of a dinosaur. Uh, When I'm teaching the class in person, I uh, will pause at roughly this point and say uh, to the class, how many of you have been part of a church that has no 
membership. There's no process for joining the church. There's no membership role. And typically, uh, in answer to that question, I get a, a, a goodly number of people raising their hands. And uh, it appears that um, membership such as it is in the modern evangelical church is at least a very informal thing if it's existent at all. I suppose if you've been uh, tracking with this membership class thus far, uh, you have this fairly clear in view by now. Uh, Folks at Resurrection, we not only have a high view of the local church, but that high view of the local church naturally leads to a high view of church membership. Uh, To be sure, it is our desire to minister as a church community to any and all who come within our reach, who come into our midst, no matter how informally, no matter how briefly that may be, we want to minister to any and all. But we also want to be very thoughtful about our ministry commitments as a church. And folks, those ministry commitments are chiefly made to one another as members of the body. So let me talk to you a little bit about this old-fashioned notion of the church and its membership. I'm going to talk about the membership vows at Resurrection Presbyterian Church, and then I'm going to uh, unpack those vows a bit under the heading, What Am I Doing When I Take Membership Vows at Resurrection? So, of course, when I refer to vows, I'm talking about solemn promises that are made either to God or uh, in the presence of God. We normally talk about wedding vows. That relationship between husband and wife is made formal and committed uh, by means of promises. And something similar is taking place in traditional churches, uh, like Resurrection, uh, when newcomers to the church join the church. Uh, There are four membership vows uh, taken by uh, those joining the church uh, that I'll be referring to as we continue. I am going to include a link to them so you can actually see the verbiage of the vows uh, in the show notes of this episode. But let me read them to you. And um, again, there's four. Uh, The first vow, uh, you might say, is all about who God is and what the Bible is. Question number one, do you believe that there is one living and true God who exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that he infallibly reveals himself in the Bible, which teaches the true and only way of knowing God? That's the first question. The answer given to that first question represents the first question. Vow. Here's the second. It's about Jesus and the way of salvation. Do you confess that God sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to save sinners, and that because of your sinfulness, you have an utter need for his salvation? And do you trust for salvation not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ? alone. All right, that about Jesus and the way of salvation. The third membership vow at resurrection is about the commitment 
to live a Christian life? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your sovereign Lord? And do you promise, in reliance on the grace of God, to serve him with all that's in you, to forsake the world, to resist the devil, to put to death your sinful deeds and desires, and to lead a godly life? And then the last of the four vows is all about life in the church. And that question goes like this at resurrection. Do you promise to submit in the Lord to the government of this church, to participate faithfully in its worship and ministry, and in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life, to heed its discipline? So when those four questions are put to a, a soon-to-be member of resurrection as a process of, by which they join the church, uh, when the answers to all four of those questions are, I do, uh, that's the making of a new member of Resurrection Presbyterian Church. Now, uh, questions uh, certainly uh, arise at this point, not just about the content of those vows, but the significance of taking vows uh, as part of joining a local church, because, of course, taking vows rightly is a solemn thing to do. You should think carefully about the significance of doing it, the implications of doing it. Um, Here's what I want to say to you uh, in answer to the question I'm posing, what am I doing when I take membership vows? Uh, I want to say not only something to convince you that it's a biblical thing to do, uh, but I also ultimately want to uh, edify you, encourage you, uh, who might be taking the steps to join Resurrection Presbyterian Church, uh, about what you'll be doing. It is a wonderful thing uh, to do, to take membership vows. And it uh, consists of your doing four things, I would submit, by means of those vows. Number one, uh, taking membership vows, like the ones I've just uh, surveyed, uh, involves making public profession of faith. Now, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've resolved to serve him, folks, this cannot be a merely private thing. Christianity is not a private religion. Now, that's contrary to what uh, much of our culture would uh, presuppose or even demand increasingly of Christians. You know, you can be religious, you can believe whatever you want, but you've got to keep your religious convictions to yourself. That would be uh, the thesis of uh, many of our cultural elites. But, uh, folks, that contradicts everything that Christianity represents. Uh, Christians are those who are called to share the gospel with the world. Uh, Christians are those who are seeking the lordship of Christ in every area of life. And uh, the public nature of our faith is something that Jesus himself insists upon among his disciples. So I'm looking at Matthew 10 for just a moment. Verse 32, Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus speaks of the public nature of our profession of faith. And uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 also has this in mind when he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's both the inward faith and the outward confession. So, uh, if you take up those first two membership vows, if you review them uh, as I read them, you will notice that they are in the form of testimony. Both the first and the second membership vow of resurrection constitute the individual saying, this is what I believe. This is what I confess. I publicly affirm this. And Uh, we see uh, great significance in the very public nature of that profession. Um, If it's the first time that a person has ever uh, made such a profession, we call that actually public profession of faith. But uh, if it's uh, not the first time, for example, if someone has had membership in other churches before they come to resurrection, we often will call that a public reaffirmation of their faith. We're trying to acknowledge that this is not the first time that they have publicly professed these things. I want you to consider, before I move on, folks, how little this costs us, at least for now, Uh, as American Christians. Public profession of faith costs us virtually nothing. I just want to remind you that in various times in church history and today in various parts of the world, Christians who are obedient to Christ in publicly professing their faith do so at the risk of their lives. That's a sobering thing to remember. Uh, When you join a local church, you are publicly professing your faith, and that uh, at great cost uh, to many Christians. May God give us grace to do this, publicly profess our faith, even should we come to have uh, or be required, be, um, be necessary to pay that high price that others do. So, uh, what are you doing when you make Um, when you take membership vows, you're publicly professing your faith. Number two, you're covenanting with God. So that's that uh, deeper covenant theology that I have introduced in this class, and it lies behind what members do when they make promises to God. Uh, They're responding to the promises God has made with them. God has entered into covenant with them, and in response to his promises of salvation from sin and eternal life, they're committing themselves to trusting him and obeying him from this day forth, if you will. So, that's why, again, if you're looking at those four membership vows that I cited a moment ago, they're... Um, The third and the fourth vows uh, come in the form of commitments to do certain things. Uh, They're not just vows by which you declare what you believe, that's one and two, but they're also vows in which you commit to doing certain things, that's number three and number four. Uh, Remember that God commits himself to us first, 
in covenant making, but our response to a God who commits himself is to do in like kind, uh, to promise uh, back to him. And what do we promise? Well, we promise what he's required. We promise, we commit ourselves to doing what he's required. Now, there's uh, many places we go in the scripture to see examples of this very thing of God's people covenanting with him. We could go to the days of Moses and look at Deuteronomy 29 or the days of Hezekiah and look at Second Chronicles 29 or the days of Josiah, King Josiah in Second Chronicles 34. Uh, all the way up into the days of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 10, uh, you see God's people doing so. Uh, Nehemiah 10 verse 28, for example, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, Join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. So that's, the, that's one of those examples of the people of God promising to do what the, the very thing God has required as he's come to them graciously in making covenant with them. Vow number three is especially a summing up in biblical language of the things that God requires of us. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your sovereign Lord, and do you promise in reliance on the grace of God to serve him with all that's in you, to forsake the world, to resist the devil, to put to death your sinful deeds and desires, and to lead a godly life. Those are each uh, expressions that have a whole host of biblical references behind them, uh, things which God uh, has called forth from his people. By the way, um, when you recognize how much we're promising in the third vow, I hope uh, you find it uh, a relief and uh, of great significance that the vow says, in reliance on the grace of God, I promise to do these things. Nothing, nothing that we promise is possible apart from the grace of God, but with the grace of God that he has promised to give, uh, it is possible. So we are publicly professing our faith when we join the church by taking vows. We are covenanting with God when we join the church by taking vows. Number three, we are demonstrating our acceptance of the responsibilities that come with the privileges of being part of a nurturing community. Now, if you've been listening uh, to my work uh, recently in this series on the church as a nurturing community, you know exactly where this comes from. We talked about the church uh, as a nurturing community and all the ways in which you need what the church uniquely can offer by way of nurture, but we also talked about what the church needs from you as uh, one of its members uh, in order to be that nurturing community. And I said to you that another way of talking about those two things, what you need and how much you are needed, is to talk about the privileges of membership and the responsibilities of membership. So taking membership 
vows, folks, uh, represents our awareness that there are certain blessings that we will enjoy in the congregation only as much as we all assume certain obligations to one another, whether it's gathering together or befriending one another or praying for one another or supporting one another or opening our homes, opening our lives to one another, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked a bit about that mutual ministry. So think of it this way. In that particular part or aspect of uh, the promise-making that new members uh, engage in, uh, we're saying in those vows all that stuff that's necessary for the church to be a nurturing community, I'm down for that. Count me in on those commitments. I know that this church needs every member to be taking part in fulfilling those kinds of responsibilities, and I promise that I will participate faithfully in its worship and ministry. Now, that's an expression from the fourth vow. Um, The question might arise, what is faithful participation in the worship of the church? And I would ask prospective members of Resurrection uh, this question, uh, can you commit to prioritizing a pattern of morning and evening attendance as a member. Our congregation uh, is called to worship by its elders uh, twice each Sunday. That's the pattern of worship at resurrection, and those who are promising to participate faithfully in the worship uh, should be intending by that promise to say, I will prioritize a pattern of morning and evening attendance at worship. That's what faithful participation in worship looks like uh, at resurrection. What does faithful participation in the ministry of the church look like? That's another thing being promised by membership vows or in the membership vows. And I would encourage prospective members of resurrection to ask themselves this question, can you commit to looking for ways to serve within the congregation and to respond to needs within the congregation that you see. That could look like so many different things wonderfully. Uh, There's variety in that ministry. But that's what you're committing to when you promise to participate faithfully in the ministry of the church. You're committing to looking for ways uh, to serve your brothers and sisters. Folks, we live in a society that wants relational privileges without relational responsibilities. I don't think I need to uh, do more than just uh, assert that. We want romance in our culture without marriage. Likewise, we want church blessings, but not necessarily commitment to the church. But those who are wise in the ways of God uh, know that the greatest blessings in relationships come with commitment. Participation in the local church is a little bit like, a little bit like marriage, at least in that sense. The greatest blessing in the context of the local church comes in the, con- comes in the context of, of commitment. 
So uh, as you join a local church, as you join Resurrection Presbyterian Church, more specifically, you're demonstrating your acceptance of the responsibilities that come with the privileges of being part of a nurturing community. And then one more thing that you're doing uh, as you join the church, you are, number four, giving the church community and its leaders both the right and the responsibility to hold you accountable in your Christian life. Now, we need to talk about that word accountable. Um, Not a word that is universally appealing, I think, in our day. Folks, I actually think that this is the most conspicuous reason why formal church membership has fallen on hard times in our day. So we'll take a minute or two because uh, this is a concept that um, many folks uh, need a little time to get their head around. Can I try to put in a nutshell uh, the biblical perspective on accountability in the Christian life? Uh, It starts with this realization, the Christian life is hard. Folks, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard to follow Jesus for a whole lifetime. Uh, Many who start the Christian life don't finish it. That's a sobering reality. Um, Further, we are often our own worst enemy in living the Christian life. Our own sin and our own weakness is our worst enemy. So, therefore, in addition to support within the local church, we also need accountability. We need loving confrontation when we start to veer off course, or even to fade away in our following after Christ. Folks, we all need that. Can I remind you of how the book of James wraps up? It's the very end of the letter. This half-brother of our Lord Jesus himself, James, uh, says before he signs off, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, And someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see what he's doing? He's referring to the uh, congregation as a flock. Uh, That's the biblical metaphor of the uh, church of God. It's the sheep um, following after the shepherd. But he's talking about someone who wanders. That's what sheep do. They wander. And uh, that could look like any number of things. They become lethargic. Uh, They uh, become embittered. They become ensnared in certain patterns of sin. They just stop showing up, if you will, among the people of God. And James is very clear. This should be a concern of the whole flock, James wants every member to feel responsible to do something about that situation. He's talking here, friends, about all of us being held accountable by our covenant community. And I'm going to emphasize it's an accountability that the whole congregation is to be part of. And yes, it's an accountability that the leaders of the congregation are especially to provide. I could also uh, be looking at Galatians chapter 6 with you. I'll just cite verse 1 and 2 
Uh, brothers, this is a word to the whole congregation. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is a word to the whole congregation. The whole congregation is involved in, in uh, keeping watch over one another and assisting, supporting, and yes, holding accountable uh, one another. One another. Uh, you will also know, I trust, the scripture gives a special responsibility to the spiritual leaders of the church to be involved in this. It's the responsibility of the whole congregation, but it's also the responsibility of the shepherds of the flock. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, So he begins by saying, verse 12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So that is a reference to those who are spiritual leaders and their work is to admonish, and you admonish someone who's wandering or becoming wayward or in some area is not living up to their own commitments to Christ. But then, of course, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 continues, verse 14, and we urge you brothers, now he's talking again to the whole congregation, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You hear him uh, again uh, talking to the spiritual leaders, they're the ones that are to be admonishing, and then he talks to the whole congregation. They're also to be those who admonish. Now, question might arise in your mind. Who in the world would want other people in their lives doing this, holding them accountable, being ready to speak a word gently uh, of reproof, for example, uh, should they need it? Well, folks, the Bible's answer to that question is very clear. Who, would, who in the world would want this in their life? The answer the Bible gives is those who are wise. Proverbs 12, verse 1, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. <laughs> uh, Proverbs, this is a theme. Uh, the theme that the wise are the ones who want the people around them to point out where they're in error. Proverbs 13, verse 18, whoever heeds reproof is honored. Or Proverbs 15, 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. So I'm taking some time on this fourth point uh, because I want it to be understood how biblical this is and how wise this is. Uh, One of the things that you're saying when you join a local church is this, folks, I want you to hold me accountable to what I'm saying as I profess my faith. I need that accountability. From the standpoint of a pastor, can I share this? Uh, from the standpoint of one of the spiritual shepherds in a local church, here's what your membership vow does uh, in relation to me as a spiritual leader in the local church. It makes clear to me 
that you are among those that God has made me responsible for. That's how the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 13, verse 17. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's his view of spiritual leaders in the church. They're keeping watch over souls, like a shepherd keeps watch over sheep, because they're going to give an account for those under their care. Well, who is a pastor? Pastor Trice at Resurrection Presbyterian Church. Who am I going to be giving an account for in Hebrews 13? Well, the membership role the number of those who have said, I want to be held accountable uh, to living the Christian life. Well, that's the, that's the number of those that I am uh, responsible for, for God at, uh, to give account for uh, as a spiritual leader. So you're asking the church community and its leaders, uh, indeed, you're giving them uh, the right and the responsibility to hold you accountable in your Christian life. That's the fourth thing that's happening uh, when new members join the church. So I'm calling this, for today's episode, the meaning of membership, what you're doing uh, when you join the church. Not just Resurrection, Presbyterian Church, but I would submit that's what membership uh, should mean uh, at any Bible believing church. Now, I uh, am fully aware there are faithful churches who do not have the same forms that Presbyterians have. Uh, They don't make uh, these things that I've been laying out in this episode as uh, prominent in the um, patterns of the church's life. Um, Frankly, I think that's a shame, but I would acknowledge, I do acknowledge uh, that there can be robust ministry And there can even be a measure of accountability apart from all of the features of Presbyterian church membership. But folks, we're trying at Resurrection uh, to have both the reality, the ministry and accountability in the local church, uh, and the forms, the membership vows are forms that express that. And particularly in light of our view of uh, salvation as... uh, coming to us in the form of covenant and the church itself as a covenant community, it is, I trust a parent, why uh, taking vows is the way one enters into uh, the local church, which is a covenant community. Now, I suspect that there may be a question or two um, still lingering in your mind about this uh, topic, and I am aware that particularly the fourth vow uh, of those who are joining a Presbyterian church uh, include some things that are still uh, perhaps somewhat new uh, to prospective members of Resurrection Presbyterian Church. There's a reference, for example, to the discipline of the church in that fourth vow, and I do need to uh, come back to that, anticipating some questions, so I will do that uh, in the final episode of this Made for Podcast membership class, and I'll also include in that final episode the answer to the question someone may uh, come to, okay, I'm ready. What do I do next in order to join Resurrection? So that's what we'll do as we return to this subject. For now, uh, thank you for finding us once again on uh, your podcast listening device. 
Uh, I'm thankful for the time uh, that you've afforded to this, and I trust the Lord will continue to bless it in your life. Brothers and sisters, uh, the Lord keep you in his grace. Christ is risen. You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.